Bible uh, this evening, but I want to teach on uh, the subject of ordination. I want us to see some examples for in Scripture on this idea of ordination. How many have ever been to an ordination service before? Uh, quite a few, okay, good. Um, I've been a part of a few different ones. I've been on a on uh, uh, at least two ordination councils uh, on, on a candidate that was going to be ordained and then asking them doctrinal questions and then being there as part of the... Uh, um, in both ordination scenarios, the the person who was getting ordained asked, they, they were allowed to invite some people to be there that they wanted there uh, that were, I think, a friend to them, maybe influential in them and their ministry and somehow. Um, and so I got to be a part in that, uh, in those regards there. And they're, they're sweet times uh, uh, in a church's life, I think, that they that a church gets to do that. And uh, we have an ordination um, scheduled uh, for some men in our church at the end of the month, the 22nd. Um, and we'll get that in the, uh, in the bulletin here in the near future. And uh, that'll be a sweet time and a Sunday evening that we'll have an ordination service. Um, but there are some other things that will take place the Saturday. And I just finished... Uh, talking to our deacons about that and planning that out, and I'm excited to be a part of that in the in the future. Another thing that um, I have on my calendar here is that we have scheduled to have a back-to-school Sunday on, I think it's the 15th, and we, I have that set in my calendar here, but we don't have, a, we don't have a budget for it, and I think we deliberately did that because we were thinking we could go into the community and ask if, uh, ask businesses if they'd contribute to a back-to-school Sunday to where we could give out uh, some school supplies to uh, folks and uh, kind of use that. So I say that to say this, if uh, you are uh, feeling ambitious or would like to be a part of that, reach out to some uh, companies, reach out to some stores and ask if they might want to contribute some uh, school goods, uh, school supplies to that. And then we can make mention that... Uh, who it was that uh, supplied the donations. And so uh, we have several young people. I don't know if we thought through that very well or not, or if I did. So uh, maybe uh, well, that's a lot of supplies, but we, at least we can help them out a little bit there is, is the plan. And so uh, think about that. That is August the 15th, and we need to get that out there too. It's all coming up. How many of you ready for school to start back up? How many kids? Oh, that's good. Sammy's excited. He's excited to have a, a man teacher, I think, for the first time. Except uh, he had a he had a PE teacher that was a male. Well, that's a good thing, right? But um, I'm excited for him to have somebody to to yell at him and get him in shape there. I was thankful for Brother Dave coaching uh, this year the team and having a, uh, another male figure that could get on them, and I appreciate Brother Dave's ministry in that capacity. Anyway, tonight we're going to be doing a study on the topic of ordination, what it's all about, or at least partly what it's about, and this is my introduction here. Independent Baptist churches, we are autonomous congregations, and we establish our own policies, 
our procedures regarding certain things that may not be explicit or pronounced, uh, um, pronounced, very pronounced in the Bible. And so a few examples of, of this, what I'm talking about, I think would be ordination. Uh, another thing, another idea of something that is not pronounced uh, real descriptively, uh, in other words, like this is how you need to do something, would be uh, the order of service at a church. So we have liberty to, on how we're going to have our order of service each Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday. And so there's nobody, there's not a verse you can point to and say, you need to you need to pass the offering plate at this time, or you need to sing this many songs. You need to uh, do this in a church service. And we know that worship involves, praise involves singing. We know that worship involves giving. We know that worship involves uh, getting around God's word. It's the pillar and ground of truth. And so we have liberty in, in uh, these policies and procedures of how we do certain things. Um, I think of the Lord's Supper. Uh, we have liberty in how often we do that. The Bible is not explicit in how often we are supposed to partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, just that as oft as we do, uh, we do it in remembrance of Him. I think of church polity as far as voting on certain things, uh, how often to have business meetings, um, who preaches and speaks at, at church, um, and, and things of that nature. And so I believe the Bible does teach ordination, and that is it, that it is an act of the local con congregation and not a denominational thing necessarily. I know denominations that will do it, uh, but it is not the responsibility of a denomination. I believe the responsibility of this, uh, this exercise that we'll partake of uh, is the responsibility of of a local church. It's not the responsibility of a hierarchy or an outside influence necessarily. Now, uh, sister churches of like faith, uh, other churches of like faith that I've known to be a part of it, what I mean by that is members of another church that is of like faith being a part of it, uh, whether it be representation um, in some capacity or just being invited. As I said, I had been invited. I was not a member of the church that ordained. Uh, the person, but I had been invited and I was a, a member of a church of like faith. Um, but the process um, falls at the direction of the pastor in the local church. But ultimately, we see that ordination took place within a particular within a particular body, a particular local church in Scripture. And so, which leads me to uh, our passage in Acts 14. Acts 14, we're going to get started here. We're going to see one of these examples in Scripture. We'll read this, I'll pray, and then we'll get right into the uh, lesson here. Acts 14, verse 23, it says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this evening. I pray that you would teach us from your word. Lord, thank you for the insight you've given me, and I pray that you'd help me to communicate. I pray that, Lord, we would, uh, we would honor you in what we do here. Lord, I thank you for those assembled this evening. I pray you'd bless them. I, 
I pray you bless uh, young people and, and uh, some of those that are part of other activity, God. I pray that you'd work in their hearts and, and grow them. And, and uh, Lord, we love you. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as this, uh, that passage in Acts 14 was, was written, there is referring to the church of Antioch that ordained them elders in every church. And so we see that particular church had that ordination there. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, Paul says this, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. Uh, he says, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. And so the Bible teaches that Timothy uh, also had been ordained as the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Titus had been ordained as the first pastor of the church of Crete. And other men were ordained to the work of God um, as well. And so I think it's interesting to see here that Paul says, I'm ordained. I'm ordained a preacher. Now, I think there's going to be a little bit of a difference in what we would understand as ordination or what we maybe have come to see ordination as. Uh, but nevertheless, the term is what I want you to notice was used there. He says, I'm ordained an elder uh, and I'm uh, sorry, a preacher and an apostle. The modern definition of ordination, I, can, I think, can be summarized in this. We understand it to be uh, some fancy terms here. The investiture of clergy, the acknowledging, appointing, and identification, the act of granting pastoral authority or sacerdotal power. <laughs> um, big terms for like uh, church authority being passed, passed down. Um, I don't like the word myself, sacerdotal power, but uh, usually we think of an ordination service as a ceremony in which someone is commissioned or appointed to a position uh, within the church. And I don't find the word commission in the Bible except but one time, and that is when Paul uh, says that he was commissioned by the chief priest to go to Damascus. And if you're familiar, that's when Paul ended up getting saved on the road to Damascus there, uh, is when he got saved. And, and often, uh, the ceremony, when we think about ordination, it involves the laying on of hands. Now, I believe that to be scriptural. Uh, but what does the word ordain or ordination actually mean? The word ordain or ordained is used some 42 times throughout the King James Bible and has a few different meanings. And so here is a few definitions or meanings of this word here. Uh, those definitions are these. Number one, uh, ordain or ordained means to set in order, to arrange according to rule, to regulate, uh, to set, or to establish. Uh, number two, uh, to regulate or establish by appointment, by decree, or by law, to constitute, to decree, to appoint, to institute. And so a bunch of the same words there are similar words, uh, same meaning. Uh, number next, an example of this would be when the Bible mentions ordaining sacrifices at a, at a certain time of the year, or God ordained uh, a certain feast on this day. And so establishing something at a certain time is the concept of, of I think, basically those two definitions there. Um, continuing here. Well, another example of uh, God ordaining different things, ordaining strength. Um, Joseph was ordained a ruler in Egypt, the Bible says. 
And so we would know, we wouldn't think that, you know, he got ordained into the gospel ministry when we see that word in that, in that reference there. Um, the word can be used uh, even negatively as an appointment to punishment. And we see that in Luke chapter 12, verse 46. A third definition of ordain or ordain is this, to set apart for an office, to appoint. Uh, and then number four, a fourth uh, definition, to invest with ministerial or sacerdotal religious functions, to introduce into the office of the Christian ministry by the laying on of hands or other forms uh, to set apart by the ceremony of ordination. Now, as there are different usages and definitions of the words that, and we just saw four of those uh, this evening, we're going to be focusing on the latter of the two specifically. And so this evening, we're going to see the employment, meaning uh, who in the Bible, who in scriptures got ordained, and then we're going to see the examples of ordination or how it is practiced, different ways that that ordination, uh, examples of the ordination of scriptures here. And so number one, we see the employment of it. Who are the candidates for ordination? Well, I believe the Bible teaches that there are two primary candidates uh, for ordination. The first of those would be a deacon, a deacon. Now, it doesn't necessarily use the, the term ordain in the passage here, but I think as we see the different passages, uh, the same substance or the same activity took place uh, that uh, took place when the word was used for pastors, elders, bishops, de uh, pastors, elders, bishops, overseers. Uh, number one, the deacon. Deacons were ordained, I believe we see the example in Acts chapter 6. Let's turn there, Acts chapter 6. Uh, we talked about that this evening with, the, with our deacons here. Um, in Acts chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 6, actually, it says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians amongst the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. And so we see requirements here of these men that were being called to be the, the deacons of, the, uh, of this first church here. And look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. I know most of us are familiar with these requirements, whom we may appoint over this business. Uh, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. So it pleased the church. Uh, this saying that was given pleased the church corporately for them to do this uh, so that the pastors, elders, bishops, overseers uh, could give themselves to, the, to prayer and the ministry of the word. Uh, then it says, Who they chose, Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Ty uh, I, I keep wanting to say Timon. Uh, from uh, Lion King, and Parmenas and uh, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before them, the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And so we see the activity uh, that the church corporately chose them, selected them. I'm, I'm fighting the, 
I'm fighting the, uh, I'm not fighting anything, but I'm, I'm uh, going with uh, the content of this here and, and the interest that people may have uh, with, with something like this, <laughs> especially our young people. Um, so anyway, one of the activities that they did, I want us to notice that the church chose these men out with, along with the disciples, the, the pastors actually, and then they laid their hands on them uh, and prayed. And so we see, that, uh, we see that as a common denominator through this activity here of ordination. And then uh, num number one, we see that deacons were ordained. Number two, we see that pastors were ordained. In each city in Crete, uh, in, uh, turn to Titus chapter one. Titus chapter one, that'll help keep us awake as we turn our pages. I think, unless you're already asleep and uh, you don't hear it. Uh, Titus chapter 1. Titus 1 and then uh, verses uh, 5 through 9. We're going to see that pastors were ordained in each city in Crete. Titus chapter 1 verse 5, it says, For this cause... Left I thee in Crete, Paul's talking to uh, Titus here, and it says that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, the things that are neglected, the things that need attention to, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, and then we see the, uh, the qualifications of them, who they were to choose out. I'm going to read them here, and what I'll do, I'll read them here. And then I had them referenced later on to read. I won't read them later, but let's read the, re excuse me, the requirements. Uh, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of right or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, uh, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And so uh, what is a pastor? Um, I think we know for the most part, but there are different terms, and I've taught on these in the past, and I know you know, but I'm just going to cover them briefly here. Uh, there can sometimes be some confusion in the church over New Testament terminology, what a pastor, but uh, for the most part as a local church, I think it's even in our doctrinal statement that uh, we understand uh, the, the responsibilities of a pastor, uh, uh, well, they're, they vary according to these terms. They're a little more descriptive. There are three terms, well, four, that are used to describe this role as a pastor as we probably predominantly know and you use the word pastor. Uh, um, they are descriptive of the, of the same church servant. Number one is elder. Number two would be overseer slash bishop. I got those combined together. They kind of connotate the, the same duties and responsibilities of bishop as the, the overseer of the, uh, the congregation. The, now, these, these, pretty, these overlap for the most part in their definitions, but they are somewhat specific as well. Um, so elder, overseer, bishop. And then the term pastor. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. It's just a few pages over.
<clears throat> excuse me, 1 Peter 5 and then verse number 1, the Bible says, The elders which are among you I exhort whom, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, pastoral responsibility, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, which is a responsibility, uh, overseer, uh, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples uh, to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And I want to point out something here that I didn't have in my notes, but it says, when the chief shepherd, shepherd shall appear. Um, any, any pastor on earth is an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd. And just to, just to clarify that, God is the, God is the, he's the chief. He's the chief shepherd. He's, he is God. He's the founder of the church. The church is his. And we established that. Uh, we mentioned that this morning as well. And so we understand that. But then God has allowed pastors, he's called pastors, uh, to do uh, this work, oversight, shepherding, um, uh, feeding the flock, and such. And so each term emphasizes a different aspect of what a pastor does. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these real quick. Uh, an elder emphasizes the leadership aspect of a pastor's role. A bishop and overseer emphasizes the administrative or management part of it, I'd say. Um, now, these can go way more in depth. I don't want you to be like, after the church, there's way more to it than that, uh, but there is. But I'm just covering these briefly here. Pastor emphasizes the shepherding and the caring side of the role of, uh, of the pastoral responsibilities. And so these are all facets of leadership from a slightly different perspective. And so we see, number one this evening, we see the employment of ordination, who it is that the Bible says gets ordained. And I think uh, we see here, uh, first of all, we see deacons, and then we see pastors, elders, bishops, overseers get ordained. Um, number two, we see the examples of ordination, examples in Scripture. How was it practiced? How, uh, and we're going to see a common denominator that runs uh, through all of these here. But turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, probably the most familiar passage that we would say um, uh, missionaries being sent out. I, I say the first ordination uh, service, Acts chapter 13. Now, one thing I do want to point out, and you'll, you'll see it, is that these were ordained, and then it says they sent them out. I don't see that they always sent those that, um, Brother Steve is smiling back there, uh, I don't see that uh, it's, I don't think it's a necessary thing that anytime somebody gets ordained that they get sent out somewhere. Um, I think that's traditionally how it's been done, but I only see that example here uh, for that matter. And we, there are plenty of other examples of, of that. And so um, I told Steve, we're just going to cancel the ordination service uh, <laughs> if he wants to play like that. So... <laughs> I know, I understand, man. Um, Acts 13, verse 1, it says uh, here, it shows a good example of a ministerial appointment, if you will. 
Uh, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And verse number two, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, I don't know necessarily that there was an audible voice that said, separate me Barnabas and Saul. There may very well have, could have been, okay? Uh, but I don't know that to be a fact. But uh, the one thing that we do know is that uh, the church understood that God had called these people here. Um, and I am dogmatic about that. As they ministered to the Lord, it says, uh, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, again, we see fasting, well, we see fasting, but we see praying and laying on of the hands of them. They sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. As it doesn't necessarily say that John was uh, ordained or his hands were set upon him and they prayed and fasted over him and sent him out, uh, but John was to their minister. And so three, uh, three things, three facts that I want you to notice in this passage here that are fluid with the rest of the passages we'll read. Number one, it is God who calls the men to the ministry and qualifies them with the gifts. God's the one that does it. It's not mom or dad. It's not the pastor. It's not, not even the church. Um, it's God. In Acts 20, verse 28, it says this, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. The Holy Ghost hath made uh, pastoral candidates overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says this, and we know this uh, to be true, of course, with uh, spiritual gifts that God has given people. Uh, in Ephesians 4.11, it says, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did he do that? Why did God do this? Well, uh, God is the one that did it. He did it for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so uh, uh, we see this as fact number one. God is the one who calls the men to ministry and qualifies them with the gifts. Number two, the members of the church also recognize God's clear leading and calling upon them, and they embraced it. Um, in Acts chapter 13, it says, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them. Um, and so... The church acknowledged the calling upon the, the, the lives of the candidates that got ordained, if you will, that had their hands placed on them and were prayed over and, and were acknowledged that God's call was on the, upon their lives. Um, and they fasted and prayed uh, as well. In Acts chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Um, connotating, I think, a, a multiplicity of, uh, of people, not just, I don't think just uh, pastors laid their hands on pastors, but I think the church, uh, church members, church leadership laid their hands on them, prayed, and, uh, and acknowledged God's call upon their lives. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 22 says this, 
lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of men's sins, keep thyself pure. The idea, the reason I read that is because obviously we see that it was a, it's a common thing for to lay hands on uh, certain men within the church, within leadership, and, uh, and the, the instruction was don't do it suddenly. Don't lay hands suddenly on just, just any, any Joe, you know, in your church. And uh, so I want us to understand that. Then number three, God works through the church as both the church and the spirit are said to separate and call the men. God does the calling. The identification comes right alongside with that church body as well. Acts chapter 13, verse 2 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so we, we see those as being three solid fluid facts regarding the calling there, regarding the example of an ordination. Uh, so some of the activity we see is number one, it's the laying on of the hands. It is prayer. And then number three, the identification of the candidates by God and the church. Amen. I'm trying not to be so boring, but uh, are you interested in this? Raise your hand if you're interested. Humor me, Brother Dave. Um, I wish there were more church body. I'm thankful for you all being here, but I wish uh, I, I, I wish there was more uh, that took interest in it uh, as well. But anyway, Paul regularly, here we see the example. The, one of the examples is Paul. Paul regularly ordained pastors for churches that he planted. He and Barnabas directed the appointment or ordination of the elders in each church. I find this in Acts chapter 14 uh, at the church of Galatia, Acts chapter 14, and then uh, verse number 23. It says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Uh, and uh, then next, Paul instructed Titus to appoint elders in every city um, in, on Crete, on the island of Crete. And then uh, that's in Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Titus 1, verse 5. Titus himself had been, an ordain, had been ordained earlier, and when he was chosen by the churches, uh, when he was chosen by the churches, um, or by the church. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8, verse 19 says this, um, not only that, but uh, who, was, who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us, this grace which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. Um, in the above passages, a couple of the passages there, the ordination of elders, it involved the whole congregation, not just the apostles. And so uh, this is important here. The Greek word used in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 19, for Titus's appointment, and in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, for the choosing of the Galatian elders, it's this word. It is kerotoneo, and it literally means to stretch forth the hands, to select, to appoint. Um, it was a word normally used uh, in the act of voting. And so uh, with that, I believe we see ordination of uh, church leaders. It involved a general consensus within the church. And that's where we see that we understood the church to identify the, 
the ordination candidates. They understood the calling upon the lives of, of the men uh, within the church there. And so uh, um, I don't know that there was always an official vote. Maybe there was. Maybe there was in some of these instances. Uh, but sometimes we'll do that. I don't know that it's a mandatory thing that needs to be done. And so I've been, I've been to a church before, at least one, where they had a, they would vote, they would recommend to ordain uh, the people, and I don't see any reason to, to not do that, but I don't see dogmatically that it says we need to do that. And um, the apostles in the congregation knew whom the Lord had chosen, whom the Spirit of God had chosen, and they responded by placing those men, uh, identifying those men in, uh, in the service of God. Uh, God had called them. And so when God calls and qualifies a man for the ministry, it will be apparent both to that man and to the rest of the church. The candidate, the minister, will meet the qualifications set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Also, we read already uh, Titus chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 9. It gives the requirements of a uh, pastor and deacon, and very similar there uh, in, in those regards. Then, um, I believe I believe also there will be a desire for them to preach God's word, for them to understand the high calling it is uh, to herald and proclaim uh, the truth of God's word. And and I think I think that will be evident. Not saying that that uh, you know everybody's uh, is is the same in that capacity. We're not. God uses personality and preaching. He uses truth mixed with personality to uh, to to uh, to preach his word. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9:16, Paul says this, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. As the testimony of the apostle Paul understanding the the high calling it is to be a, a preacher of uh, the word of God. And so it's the duty of the, uh, of the church pastor, I believe, and to uh, together with the congregation to recognize and accept that calling. And after that, a formal ceremony or an ordination service, I think, is appropriate, uh, though by no means mandatory. Uh, the ordination ceremony itself does not confer any special power or any special honor, per se, other than the honor it already is to be in the service of the Lord. Um, and so, very simply, uh, it is giving uh, recognition to God's clear calling and appointment uh, to, to ministry in the lives of, of the person. I, I, uh, we, our candidates here, have different uh, ministerial backgrounds or different... Uh, Things that they've done in ministry, um, different track records or or uh, experience of ministry in different capacities. Um, but in, in none of these cases here is there a specific ordination ceremony that is detailed other than this. Number one, laying on of hands. Uh, number two, uh, prayer. And then also fasting is sometimes involved here in some of these. Uh, but then number three, the identification of the candidates by God and the local church. And so it's a privilege and honor for us to be able to ordain men whom the Lord has used and clearly identified. Uh, and I think in particular through the circumstances of this church. Um, I think of how the Lord 
uh, uh, how this church was without a, a senior pastor, if you will, a, a, a main pastor, lead pastor, whatever you want to call him, for approximately a year. But God used uh, God used a multiplicity of, of people, uh, but in particular, he used uh, two men uh, to share in the roles and responsibilities of the preaching. Um, and then another man in particular um, in some of the other responsibilities of administrative and and I know the responsibilities overlap. I'm not trying to negate anything that any of these uh, men did as being lesser or 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 more or greater. Uh, but but uh, but through that process, and then in me coming here, that is something that I'd had in the back of my mind that man, the the church is very special to be able to. There are some churches that wouldn't have sustained through that, and the church was in a very volatile uh, position. And um, and the Lord used three men in particular, um, of course, uh, again, Dave and Steve sharing in the preaching and teaching responsibilities. And I'm sure there's some stuff that I'm going to leave out here. Uh, but then Brother Bobby organizing and leading a pulpit committee, as well as as my understanding, I learned that the church didn't have uh, we didn't have procedures on how to call the next pastor uh, when we were without a pastor. Um, and so that needed to be thought through and established and put into our bylaws, a constitution, or what have you. And uh, then um, Brother Bobby's involved in helping with the administrative as well. And and so the three did this while working full-time jobs, having full-time families. Um, there's no part-time uh, families. And then uh, all that to say this, my plan is this on Saturday, August 21st, I plan on having a, a doctrinal examination uh, in which our candidates will share um, their salvation testimony, kind of kind of give you a heads up of what, what we have planned. Um, you know, our candidates don't even know all of the details. I've mentioned some of them vaguely to them. But uh, on the 21st, which is a Saturday, we'll have a doctrinal examination in which our candidates will share, they will share their salvation testimonies, their their call to service. Um, maybe there's a specific time where they recognize God's call upon their life to preach or God's call upon their life specifically to, to live for God, to serve him. Um, and then doctrinal examination. And I'm excited about that because what it is, it's, it, we're identifying them as, as being sound in the faith and we're perpetuating that faith as well. Um, and so I had a few examples of some uh, some ordination questions, and I'm going to I'm going to go through these quickly. Um, and I have a couple of ideas uh, in how to conduct it. But so Saturday, uh, the thought was we've thrown out the time of 1:30 p.m. in which our candidates. I, I I've mentioned that I've mentioned that to you all right Saturday. Now I I mentioned that I mentioned that already. Don't don't uh don't do that to me. And then I I asked you guys if you wanted to invite your your fathers in particular, invite your parents. But for the uh, doctrinal examination, I think it'd be appropriate. I would love for parents to be there, dads to be dads to be there in particular. I know I think most all of your dads are involved in ministry in some capacity. I think that would be a sweet time. I got ordained with my father-in-law. It was a sweet time. Um, then, um, uh, so one we we'll have a time of doctrinal examination. 
I've asked Pastor John Allen to be a part of that. He, he's excited. He's happy to be a part of that. And I think uh, he's a respected man amongst our congregation and our folks. And, and um, then I've asked uh, Brother Daryl Moore to be here with us all day uh, for that and to give the challenge on uh, that uh, Sunday evening. But 1.30 and then uh, we'll have a good time uh, of, of uh, fellowship and, and time around God's word for that matter. Um, after the examination, we'll have an early meal uh, for the for the men that are a part of that that Saturday evening, and uh, obviously there's church the next day. But then the official ordination service, I'd like to have that Sunday evening during our regularly scheduled service time, and um, we I'd like for our our deacons in particular, but then also uh, men leadership of our church to lay hands and and pray, and then. We may or may not be sending Brother Steve away, but uh, we're definitely uh, we'll, we're we're doing that at God's command only, okay? Um, and then uh, God's leadership only. And um, I look at it as being hopefully a special time uh, in the history of our church here to be able to do something like that. And so I think we've seen some of the examples here, and uh, we see the candidates. Of, uh, of ordination. And so with that being said, I do have this that I can give to you men as candidates here, uh, the candidates, but uh, I thought about asking you guys if you wanted to come up with a doctrinal statement and we can use that. We can make multiple copies of that. If I was doing that, I just would basically print off the doctrinal statement of the church. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> But then we're, we're not asking questions to try to to trick anybody, to try to keep anybody from getting ordained. Uh, but doctrine's important, and we want to perpetuate good doctrine, and I, I believe our men have that, and so it's a special time. So here are some questions, that uh, some example questions that, that we may or may not uh, could ask you, uh, you men. Number one, share with us how you became a follower of Jesus. I think that's very important and appropriate. Number two, what is the gospel? And then we would like, obviously, scriptural references to support your answers. Uh, what do you believe about the nature, inspiration, and infallibility of the Bible? Explain your beliefs of the King James Bible. Uh, number next, what do you believe about the doctrine of the Trinity? What do you believe about Jesus, his preexistence, birth, life, and death, and resurrection? Uh, what do you believe about the uh, work of the Holy Spirit? Um, how would you explain the purpose and nature and miracles in the Old and New Testaments? Describe what you believe Jesus means by making disciples. Do you believe in the doctrine of eternal security? What are the scriptural officers of, of a Baptist church? Describe their roles. Explain the ordinances. Uh, when do you believe the church to have started? What is the nature and purpose of the church? What do you believe about Christian stewardship, uh, tithing offerings, uh, missions, um, and so just a few examples here. There, I have a few more, and if you'd like, I'm happy to print this off to you. Uh, but I think you guys generally know uh, some of the things that we'd ask. And so um, I'm excited about that. I want to invite our men. It was suggested that maybe our men could be a part of that too, a couple men in particular, and I, I welcome that. Um, members in particular. Um, and so I think of Brother McGraw. I think of uh, men that weren't in there in our deacons meeting. Um, I don't know what Bill's got going on, but anyway, 
So that's the plan there, and uh, looking forward to that. That is the 21st, and that is the 22nd. Um, so don't have much of an invitation here now, but uh, any questions regarding that? Observations, comments? All right, then uh, we're going to go ahead and we'll uh, we'll prepare to dismiss. I do have a few announcements that I want to make mention of. And get the bulletin. They have some of these. Uh, one of those that is in the bulletin here to this Tuesday, 5 p.m. at the uh, Rosewood uh, restaurant there, the Ladies Fellowship.